Therapy Cafe Podcast, Episode 3. Welcome to the Therapy Cafe Podcast. My name is Kathleen Talent, and I'm a clinical psychologist. Allison Stenson and I are on a mission with this podcast to help therapists like you make a difference in your community and to learn the information and tools to do that effectively. We're focusing on different topics that are affecting people's lives and their mental health right now and talking to clinical experts, researchers, and people with real lived experiences who can share their insights and help us learn how to do our jobs better and smarter. We also focus on tying in holistic wellness into the lives of our clients as well as our own. We need holistic wellness too. It's all about mind, body, spirit wellness. You can find information about us and the podcast at www.thetherapycafe.com. In this episode, we're continuing to focus on first responder mental wellness. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Therapy Cafe podcast. We are here with Terry Trueblood, and I am going to let him introduce himself. Well, um, I I think we're primarily going to talk about law enforcement, uh, things related to, uh, you know, mental health and so forth. Uh, And so, yeah, I started in full-time law enforcement in 1983. I'm still doing it today. Um, I worked for a city, um, and I also worked for the state as an investigator. Uh, to start off with. Um, The resume is very long and I don't want to bore everybody with all that. I did uh, pretty much everything from being the chief diver for the underwater investigation unit to uh, working undercover um, auto theft. And uh, I was a training officer for many, many years and everything that they teach in a police academy, I'm certified to teach or to teach the teachers as the case may be. Uh, I've written uh, a book or two in um, the field are more like uh, manuals, uh, uh, text uh, used by students and so forth. And I'm a medic. And um, like I say, uh, just about everything that is taught in academies I've taught. So lots of years and years and years of doing it. Yes, you've done all kinds of stuff. My goodness. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's certainly why you know, I, I really wanted to, to talk with you and have you on this podcast with all your wealth of information and, you know, so such a diverse background, um, so much wisdom to share. And I want to pick your brain a little bit, okay? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, as I've talked to you about, this podcast is for mental health professionals. So right. people who are out there, you know, try and our series, uh, our initial series is on working with first responders. And so we've talked about law enforcement. You mentioned before that they're kind of a different breed, in a way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Law enforcement's clearly deviant from the rest of the population. That's why they're in that field. I mean, they're not Uh in a bad way. They're just different. Kind of like therapists, huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, these these are your good kids from your neighborhood. Um, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, he, he would make a good cop or a fireman or something like that. And of course, then when they become the police officer and have to execute the first search warrant, then their opinion of you goes down dramatically. But uh, <laughs> uh, before that, you were perfectly fine. Um, 
And then just like our many, many, many veterans, uh, you're all of a sudden uh, a Marine and you're, oorah, you're good. And everybody loves you. Then you become a cop and well, maybe not so much anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but what changed? Was it the person that changed or the perception of the person? Ah, yes, yes. So what are some of the characteristics? I know we can't stereotype in general because there's you know, everybody. <laughs> well, you know, to the extent that it's helpful to understand for therapists to understand if they're going to be or if they're interested in working with uh, law enforcement or if, you know, they, they already are and they don't know what the heck, you know, is going on to help them understand and kind of get in the minds you know, to, to help you all out, what, what are some characteristics of uh, law enforcement? Do you, do you call police officers or law enforcement or both? I mean, what's the kind of terminology we should use? Um, you know, you call a little bit of everything, but, you know, police is such a different job. I mean, who saddles up in the morning with a 40 caliber Glock, a body armor, a shotgun, and an AR-15 and says, bye, honey, I'll be home tonight, I hope. Right. Nobody right. does that. That's the only job. It's a warrior class, actually. And that sounds like, yes. you know, warrior class, it sounds terrible, but it's based on, you know, mm -hmm. kind of the ancient, uh, almost like uh, Japanese samurai type warrior class. So their mentality is all about taking care of the community. It's all about taking care of people who can't take care of themselves. Um, they go put themselves in harm's way while everybody's running away from an incident. They're running into it. It's that kind of a person and not everybody can do that and 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 we're just blessed to have what we have here in the United States and I know right now police are getting a pretty bad rap uh, mm -hmm. and it's very stressful on them because that's not what they got into it for um, and they're leaving in droves um, but I was just okay. talking to a woman a therapist actually <laughs> and she okay. was a, uh, a woman whose kids were kidnapped and taken to Mexico Okay. And, and this woman uh, went to Mexico to try to recover her children. And uh, she was able to get one of the three. However, she went to the police station to try to get the rest. And they simply laughed at her. Mm. Now, that doesn't happen in the United States. And until somebody goes to a third world country and sees that, they don't really know how to appreciate uh, the quality of law enforcement that we have here. And, and these guys are absolutely uh, dedicated. Uh, the men and women of law enforcement literally are putting their life on the line every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Their way of thinking about things, just simply even going into a restaurant, you know, you're going to see these people, you know, they're going to be in a corner with their wall against the back. You're assessing, uh, you know, the exits. Where's the first exit? Where's the second exit? If somebody comes in and does this, where am I moving to? How mm -hmm. am I going to uh, effectively take out a threat if necessary? That's yeah. going through their head 24 7, 365. And other jobs, you don't even, it doesn't even cross your mind yeah. to put a game at a high school and think, okay, if I get like, somebody comes out here with an AR-15, it's going to mass murder everybody. How am I going to effectively stop this? Yes. That doesn't even cross their mind. They're just worried about the game. Yes, yes. It's those survival skills that they need on the job, right? Do you think that develops over the course of time on the job too? Those kinds of reactions? It does. I think you come in with most people. Now, there is a little bit different breed, uh, as of late it seems, um, that may put it a nine to five, and it's not, but uh, they find that out very quickly, and those will get thinned out. But you have to have a passion for that. You'll probably find these kids, when they're little, before they're ever 21 and old enough to be a police officer, um, they're the ones that are 
taking care of other people, you see it almost automatically. And they have this desire to do it. A lot of them will get into other fields. They'll get into some, you know, volunteer firemen, uh, EMT. Uh, they'll be into some of those fields before they ever get into law enforcement. And of course, you know, clearly going to college and or military. Uh, yeah. That's all. Part of it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of former military, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, because it's like a similar mindset. Like you said, that warrior mentality. That warrior yeah, I mean, mindset. that's the only other job that saddles up in the morning like we do. And, of course, in the military, you only do it for a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, maybe you're deployed for maybe 16 months in an area, but we're not talking 30 years of doing that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, what part of the country you're in uh, it can be more challenging uh, yes. and so forth. What yep. do you think the morale, you spoke a little bit about this a few minutes ago, but what do you think the morale is like uh, among police officers and, you know, what are you, some of your thoughts about that? Well, morale is very dependent upon leadership. Uh, they keep talking about systemic racism. I've not seen that in my career. I really haven't. I would tell you straight up if I've seen it, but I have not seen it. Um, but what I have seen is systemic failure of leadership. Because, you know, and then in some cases, um, you know, the, the news media or whoever believes that uh, police unions and virtually every state, there's police unions, are the cause of problems we can't get rid of these guys. Well, one, police unions do not hire anybody. Two, police unions do not promote anybody. Three, they don't assign anybody to specific skills. Four, they don't do the discipline. And five, they don't terminate. Mm -hmm. All mm -hmm. the police union does is negotiate for wages and benefits. And should somebody accuse you of something, they want to make sure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and that's legit. It's no different than if you were to get a speeding ticket and you get the chance to go to court and say your side of the story. That's all they're insuring because what you're seeing in a lot of these cases is the knee jerk reaction to fire somebody instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And then they come back and they go through their contract and they have protocol you have to follow as an administrator. Failure to follow that protocol will result in that person being reinstated. That's how it works. There's an actual uh, method of the madness. It's very much like court. Okay. Okay. What did, what did you know about the process on the front end of, um, you know, assessment, evaluation, and, yeah. you know, kind of determining the, the, the folks who are the, you know, good candidates to sure. be in law enforcement? There's a, there's a, in most places, now remember we have 50 states, so 50 different kingdoms and 50 different ways of doing it, but similar in many, many respects. But typically you're going to fill out an application when you're 21 years old. Now, some states you might be able to go a little younger than that due to certain circumstances, but basically 21. Typically you've got um, your college. Uh, you may have been out of the military, you know, at that point, who knows? Um, but that's the minimum age in most places. And you're going to do a written test that's going to be significant in most cases. I when I went through, I had a 300 question written test. I got four hours to do it. I, you know, of course, I got done much earlier than that. However, once you score high enough on that, and that depends on your sex and your race as to what's high enough, um, that's okay. the way they put in affirmative action. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, so, you know, I mean, I could be a white male and score 95 and not make it, and somebody else could be at 70 and make it, depending upon their ethnicity. Okay, so that's a part of the process pretty much across all the states? Sure, and then, of course, you know, that can get under people's skin right from the get-go. 
I knew a husband and wife that uh, took a test together and uh, he outscored her and had more education than her and more police work than her, but she got the job. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, side by side. And she laughed about it because she was just going to go shopping with him and decided to take the test that day. Mm, okay. Pretty interesting. So anyway, that set that aside. That's another political issue for another debate. Um, but I will say that um, assuming you score high enough, then you'll move on to the next step, which would be an interview. Um, mm -hmm. And some places do more than one interview. Uh, when, when I was hired, I mean, we had kind of a seven-person board that met with you. And it was kind of a stress interview, to be honest, to see if you could hack it. Mm -hmm, and if you were good enough, then there'd be another interview with a little bit higher ranking officers uh, for the final selection interview. And then you would be sent for a medical. Uh, so you go to an MD and you get a full physical, head to toe, blood tests, you know, all, the whole bit. And then you end up uh, in a psychologist's office at some point for a mental health evaluation. Now, that brings us to the topic matter that we're dealing with. Who are these people? Well, I don't know. Because a lot of them are low bid, <laughs> you know, that kind of situation. Um, somebody's on some list, uh, got on some list through whatever means. Um, I knew one psychologist in this, and where I live in this state, um, that, um, yeah, but I will say that, you know, in this particular guy, he had um, a real problem with people who'd been in special forces, your Navy SEALs, mm -hmm. Green Beret, your rangers, uh, these kinds of folks that are highly trained, he thought they were too dangerous to be in law enforcement. So pretty much all of them got eliminated. Wow. So you're saying the psychologist on the front end, because that's where yeah. they early will interface with your profession. That's, and yeah, they no, did an evaluation true. and they had their own biases that kind of right. got played out. Yeah. And I investigated that one a little bit more to find out his whole background. And it was illuminating, shall I say that he had no business doing that it wasn't his area. He wasn't a police psychologist. He, he had no background in that. He was just kind of, like I say, I am not particularly saying he was low bid, but he was on a list through whatever means. And I don't know how that happened, but I, I made many, many people aware of that. Um, but you know, once again, the administrators, the, the chiefs and sheriffs and so forth, they, have lists and they don't know where the list comes from. Maybe their association puts them together and these are the people they can select from. They have any idea and they know what there's certain costs that are incurred in trying to get this going. It's expensive to bring in a doctor to interview 27 people that are on the final list or more, depending upon the size of the, uh, the uh, department. Anyway, so uh, how would you like to be that guy who was uh, an army ranger, served his country and he only to come back and a psychologist says you're a threat. So you can't be a police officer. Well, most of them end up being police officers. They go someplace else. Mm -hmm. And so that particular department doesn't get the benefit of those folks. And from the ones I know, they turn out very well. But again, a bias that started. Now, that guy, if he has stress and he remembers that very first psychologist, where do you think, where do you think he's going to go? Right, right. He's certainly not going to want to go to see a psychologist or a therapist if he's having any, any you know, issues or stress going on on the job, right? Well, absolutely not. And then there's some of them that have watched enough Adam 12 and 
<laughs> things like that. They think they're police psychologists and they're far from it. Now, the ones that tend to do pretty well are the ones that have uh, been police officers and then, you know, retire, go through, and then they go to school and, you know, finish up. And, and they've got a real sense of it. Not everybody gets that opportunity, but people yes. that will uh, ride along, that's helpful to get out there and they hand you your bulletproof vest, tell you where spare guns at, and you're going, what? Yeah, well, we don't want you to get killed. And this is real. This mm-hmm. is not TV. Right. And that's so right. we want to make sure that uh, the people are really well-versed. So that's how you start. I mean, you get that. And then after you get that, you're on a final list of that started out with maybe 2,500 people and you're down to six. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So um, then you get selected and you, then you have to go to the academy. And the academies vary in length um, in different states. Some states have uh academies that run through a college, an adjunct to the college. Um, other ones have their own actual standing buildings that are residential in nature. It's kind of like going to boot camp with the military. Okay. And so, um, and they will be there and you'll be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week or, or five days a week to probably give you liberty on, uh, on the weekends, that kind of thing. Uh, but for the most part, you're, you're trapped there and you're going to have some forced learning and you get drill instructors they call them di's in a lot of places um so it's just very paramilitary in that way you learn respect uh you mm-hmm. learn to um you know how to how to march how to salute you do there's a lot of physical activity additionally there's academics that take you specifically through that particular state and its laws mm-hmm. and um you know so you'll learn everything from how to use pepper spray correctly how do you use your taser how to go out and use lidar and radar in your squad car uh how to do defensive tactics how to de-escalate situations, um, going through psychological profiles of people um, over and over again on, on who you're going to come up to. When you have a hostage situation, you're going to cover that. You're going to cover, I mean, an immense amount of stuff in sometimes, you know, pretty short order, 12 weeks maybe, and sometimes it's 20, 26 weeks. But it's, having been to college, I can tell you it's like a massive condensed, got to pass. You don't pass, they can fire you. Just oh, really? You have no job, you have no income, your house mortgage doesn't get paid. So you're under duress from the get go. They oftentimes will give you psychologists will come in and they'll tell you about the honeymoon period in law enforcement. They'll tell you about the, you know, kind of career path thing and how you change as you go through it. Um, And they will tell you about, you know, the exit time when you get maybe a little scary, because we're always worried about people who are uh, in their first couple of years, where they're still learning the trade, um, like any other trade, you know, that's mm-hmm. where you're going to get hurt, or at your very last couple of years, kind of let the guard down, you're going to retire, and you're thinking about getting the hell out of there. And so, you know, all of a sudden, take one in the chest. And now with the advent of the, the riots and things that have been going across the country, um, this is not what people signed up to do at all. Okay. Okay. And you, yes. know you, you know you're going to go out there and do it, but you don't, this is not something that is based on rational thought in most places. It's, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, hive mentality, it's group mentality, and, um, you know, we have to deal with it. You got to be professional, and everybody is. I mean, fortunately, you don't hear about somebody just, you know, wiping out, you know, a whole crowd. It just doesn't happen in America. It might in other places. You see the riots across the world, and you see the kind of, um, tactics that are used or lack of tactics mm-hmm. have that in America. It is set pretty good. Yes. Okay. So it's intense. Like, I mean, from day one, you just, you know, in the, in the, the career, you just jump right in and there's the, it's high stress, high pressure mm-hmm. and the sheer amount of information and the types of situations that you could be in. 
You know, right. it's, it's pretty mind boggling. You think about it. You're, you're going to be taught about everything everybody else guesses about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you, how yeah. would you say that um, police officers are different from other first responders? From other first responders? Well, police officers tend to work alone. Um, I, you know, I was a president of a fire protection district and uh, they work as a team. And so uh, even as a medic, which, you know, they work in at least tandem with somebody else. Um, and sometimes as, as a group, that's becoming a thing. Police are set up to be self-sufficient mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that they're the one person in there, the next backup, depending on where you're at. I mean, if you're in a city, it might be a couple of blocks away. If you're out in the rural areas, it might be 20, 30 minutes away. So how do you protect yourself and keep from getting hurt? And also, you know, minimize any damage to anybody else that you may, and they always talk about bringing people into physical custody. Well, that's fine. But, you know, you got to be able to do that properly. And um, so that's a real challenge, but you have to be able to do it by yourself most of the time. Because uh, it all happens so quickly. It's not like TV, where you got time to think about it and somebody comes running around the corner to save you the day. And No, that doesn't happen. It doesn't you are literally... Yeah, you're literally doing it. It's split second stuff. Lawyers and onlookers have months and years to look at your actions that happened in less than a second and oftentimes. Yes. Now, now, and based yeah. on TV, you know, all the media portrayals and movies and, and, mm -hmm. you know, news, everything. But do you, do you tend to have partners? Because every TV show, you know, I've ever seen, you know, there's a couple no. of, you know, cops sitting in a car or they're, you know, partnering up. Uh, movies that that's usually the portrayal so you're saying they work mainly alone that's been your depending experience upon your, depending upon your department um okay. you know the bigger cities that might have more people but yeah certainly you could have two two to a car mm -hmm. um of course they have found that you are a better observer if you're the only one in there because you know you're not likely to be talking to whatever uh and not seeing something but uh nonetheless out in the rural areas where you're a state trooper or you know some kind of a state agent you're going to be by yourself 90% or more. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you, you've got to be by yourself. And it's um, middle of the night, two in the morning, stop a car, you don't know who's in there, you have no idea. I don't, I don't know anything about that person, except what I'm getting off the license plates. And, uh, and whatever activity I saw, that would make me want to stop them. Yes, somebody had told me, and I notice it now every time, because uh, it's not like I get stopped often for speeding or anything like that, but I have been known to in the past. And uh, when, um, and now that, now that you say that it has been, um, you know, just um, one, one police officer, you know, coming up to the car and um, they will put their finger on the back or like swipe with their finger, the back of the, the vehicle when they're yeah. walking up to me. Now, why do they do that? They push the trunk down so somebody doesn't jump out and shoot them. Okay. Okay, they're touching that trunk because anytime they approach anybody, it could be for, for you know, a traffic incident, uh, speeding, whatever it might be. They just don't know. You don't know what you're going to see at any given moment, well, do you? Fortunately, police officers get an opportunity to see a lot of dash cam, a lot of, a lot of uh, scenarios, and we put them through those scenarios in the academy. And, of course, we try to kill them. I mean, you know, in the academy, you're trying to say, okay, you just died today. Now what? All right, what kind of flowers do you like? And so this instructors will be hiding in a trunk. They'll pop it open and shoot you. 
Wow. Okay, simple as that. I mean, um, or somebody be in a darkened car, they'll slide, slide out of the back seat when you're on the other side, come up over the hood and drop you right there. Wow. Now, you all don't get to see that. And I understand why. I mean, it's the, some of this is trade secrets, more or less, which is challenging when you're trying to explain it to a jury later on that you've seen this 100 times, you know, in training and on dash cams and, and whatever video might be available in a situation. And they've never had that. So I wouldn't expect them to know what they don't know. I mean, if I was sitting there with a group of plumbers and I'm not a plumber, I would not know, you know, what to think about or just like, well, I've seen it on TV. So I think you put a plumber, you take a wrench and do this and keeps it from spraying water all over my house or, you know, my commercial building is you don't know. It's, it's, it's so it, you know, and in most places when um, let's say medical doctors, you know, get in trouble of some sort or accused of something, you know, who, who looks after them? It's the, their peers, AMA, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. And, and like Dennis, ADA, um, everybody gets that in their peer group that's licensed, you know, lawyers, the bar association, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what do cops get? Cops get 12 people that don't know diddly squat about wow. their job. Okay. And it's in a jury, in the jury box. Wow. Okay. For, and that's so see, if, yeah from your vantage point and and from your profession that's what that's what happens you end up getting judged or evaluated basically and, in a you know i don't really and, and the thing is that's the least of your worries the the, the primary stressors are going to be from internal that's where high stress comes from the guys you work with um the administrators and some of them have certain agendas and they're going after you your buddy or and that happens all the time so just because they are a sergeant lieutenant captain or chief or whatever the case may be doesn't necessarily uh, correlate with them being maybe as professional as you would like uh, they still have the same problems every other human has. And if they don't like you, they don't like you. But how miserable would that be if you had another psychologist in your office who's, and you're hired by them and then they're constantly looking to try to fire you and find, and they may not be, they may be off the rocker themselves. And they're looking to take you out and your neighbor who's also hired there and your next one. And, you know, so um, it's a real challenge on internal. And then likewise, you also have other police officers who, um, don't necessarily maybe have your best interest in mind uh, as you go through your day after day after year after year. Um, those are stressors that the guys really have to contend with. Uh, then you have spouse issues uh, where you have um, a spouse who doesn't necessarily understand your job. You've changed since they married you. That's why oftentimes I will recommend people do not get married until you are a police officer so they know what they're going to get. Because uh, if you were the local bartender before you became a police officer, uh, your personality is going to change and it's going to change into what police requires. And then your spouse who married a bartender who was the fun of life of the party is now looking at this guy who's more stoic and worried about, you know, her getting hurt, him getting hurt, his kids getting hurt. And he's not the same guy or gal and whatever case it may be. Um, That's those so, personality changes you're talking about. So more stoic, more um, kind yeah, of alert and aware of their surroundings. Yeah, some people call response. it paranoia. Yep. But it's not really paranoia because it's real. Uh, paranoia is right. based on something not real. And this is clearly real. Now, it's not real to you sitting in the psychologist's desk because uh, you never had it. 
But if you haven't been shot at a couple of times in your career, you wouldn't have any clue. And so when you get to a psychologist, and the way guys get to a psychologist typically is they're ordered to go to one. And what is it? Is it a department psychologist? Well, it's, is it low bid psychologist? Happens to just do it part-time for the... So when they walk into that setting, um, they are less than cooperative, not because they don't want to get fixed if they think there's a problem, but they these people don't know what you do. There's no relationship. What would I recommend to a, to a therapist? Listen, because you don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You have no clue what they're doing and listen to what they're saying because they're not lying to you. It may sound bizarre, unbelievable, but keep in mind, police see the seedy underbelly of humanity every day. Yes. And most of them are able to keep in mind, and, and we teach them in the academies, hey, listen, get some other activities, you know, go bowling, uh, coach Little League or football or do something else, be involved with the Shriners, you know, do something good for the community. I don't know, find something you like to do and stay connected with regular humans, which most people are. They're good people in your community. Mm -hmm. Most of them are very good people. Um, but you're not dealing with that in your eight-hour shift or 12-hour shift, whatever it may be. You're dealing with the nasty people. And you can easily find yourself going, you know what? This really sucks. The world kind of sucks. And because that's all you're seeing. It's a limited perception, uh, nice. just like anybody else in their job. You know, uh, you know, if you're a guy who mows grass and uh, you get all these old ladies that are bitching at you because you're not mowing it quite the way they like, you're going to think everybody's a, a, a bitch, you know, and it's not true. You just happen to be <laughs> working in that field. And they're very particular in that town about their grass. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, so what I'm saying is we know most of us get it. Hey, we're dealing with that. Um, and so there are regular people, stay close to family, you know, that's not in law enforcement, find hobbies that are not in law enforcement, start planning your career after law enforcement, because many of them, I think the average age I last looked up um, of death for police officer from all causes was somewhere about 53, last I looked it up, I would have to see what wow. the latest is. And really? so we'll retire, it's a young man's sport, that's why they retire them at 50 in a lot of cases, or 55. Uh, because you're literally not going to be able to do what you need to do. Your knees get bad. Your back gets bad. Um, you can't run as fast as you used to. You can't draw and fire as fast as you used to if you, if you had to do that. Um, and so we get them out of there before they get to the point where they're just completely inept and not able to function. 65 is not going to work for most cops. Okay. It's when you take that holistic approach, so mind, body, spirit, so all of the, the, the toll that this lifestyle's taken on them, you know, the career, and uh, the ways they might have coped with that, which aren't healthy, a lot of them, right? So that you, you probably see, so from your experience and your, your vantage point, you, you see um, how mental health, there's a toll on mental health, right? And there's a toll on physical health then, both. Absolutely. I mean, how many of y'all seen somebody holding their kid's head that's been blown off of the 12-gate shotgun? time after time after time. How often do you see dead babies that you're trying to resuscitate? You know, uh, there's many of those things. How many times you're pulling out burned bodies out of cars? Uh, you know, those things, I think you kind of get numb to it after a while. You just kind of, you know, they're there. We get used to it. It's part of the job. No different than, you know, some doctors doing surgery that looks like butchery to the rest of us. But to right. them, it's just ho-hum, you know, eat a donut and go on. 
<laughs> and so, um, so uh, that doesn't really challenge you as much as um, coming home and the spouse not understanding the job. So some guy has turned to alcohol. Uh, in those cases, that's part of it. Um, so there's a number of ways they try to deal with it that maybe aren't the healthiest ways to do that sort of thing. But honestly, it's these guys are very stubborn uh, because mm -hmm. they have to be in their job. There's a, a job to do. It's got to be done. You're under the gun to do it correctly. Um, they've taken away much of your discretion because you're on camera all the time. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to give you a break for speeding, I got to answer for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to go back to my sergeant and go, hey, he goes, why'd you give her a, a break? Well, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, he's watching it the same as on. So now you get a ticket <laughs> instead of a break. Would we like to give a break? I used to give uh, probably seven to one written warnings to, if you talk about traffic, which is only a minuscule part of this. Um, but everybody thinks of that because that's their, usually their only interaction with police. But seven to one warnings to um, actual tickets. Easy, okay. if not more. Okay. And when well, I think about the, the pressures and things, how things have changed over time too, I've wondered about how the uh, dash cams and the body cams and things like that, that's been what, in the past decade, the past several years where, I mean, most uh, law enforcement, you know, are, are basically observed on the job recorded in some way what how does that affect the psyche well i think i mean probably since about 2000 those things started as probably dash cams and they're obviously body cams now um they're a godsend right now for law enforcement because what we say is happening is but it's still one dimensional I mean, you're only seeing with a camera you're not seeing like your eyes where you have you know vision that's going to go out um peripheral you're just seeing a very limited, almost like a horse with blinders on, and you're not seeing the totality of it. Sometimes there's no voice to it. Depends on what the equipment they've got. Uh, but it has been a godsend, I think. Um, there was resistance at first because we didn't know how it was going to be used. But as society has changed and the, I guess I'd say the interpretation of police officers as liars and, you know, hey, Maybe there was some bad apples that did some things, but the vast majority, that's not even close. When you're in the academy, you're told you never lie. You never lie on the stand. It is not worth it. It's not worth your career. It's not worth your reputation. It's not worth, you know, tainting the badge and all these sorts of things. So it's just pounded into you. You do not lie under any circumstances, even if you lose a case. It doesn't matter. You'll get them next time. And if you got the right mentors, meaning field training officers, right sergeants, and right leadership, um, that's really important. Uh, but when you feel like you have no support from your department, uh, that is a real problem. Mm -hmm. and these guys will go inward and they will, you know, not do what they would normally do, high risk things. I mean, the guys are leaving law enforcement in droves uh, right now. And, you know, I, I will use, uh, and I only speak for myself, I'm not speaking for any you know, particular organization or anything, but I, I did get information about uh, Missouri. And in fact, uh, their state troopers were, they were doing a big recruitment uh, drive. And uh, they had done it for a number of months, as I understand it. I could be mistaken. I think it was like six month, you know, recruitment drive. Um, for the whole state, they ended up with four people. Wow. That were qualified okay. to even be in there. Really? I think started, yeah, I think it started at six, and then two of those were disqualified for some reason. And, uh, okay, that tells you what happens. And people need to understand 
how critical having quality law enforcement in their town is. And there was a study done and they asked a survey, I guess it was not a study, but a survey uh, about people were asked about their police officers in their town. And mm -hmm. as I recall, it was above 73% that they loved their cops in their town. Okay. So most people like their own local police because they know them. I mean, they're their neighbors or friends. They see them every day. It's like the postman. I mean, you see them show up, they, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, restaurateurs like having police officers in there for the most part. Mm -hmm. Occasionally you'll see some of these where they want, don't want them in there. Um, but no, they generally want them in there because they don't want to get robbed. They don't want, they want to have stability. Everybody wants to be stable. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that keeps things stable in a community is that thin blue line. The difference between chaos and civilization. And though that line's got to be supported. If it's not, we're in for one hell of a ride. And it's not going to be pretty because looking at Minneapolis uh, as of late, you know, they've had the defund police thing within their city council. Well, now so many have left, they don't have enough to respond to things, and they're actually contracting other area agencies, um, the sheriff's department and uh, the Metro Transit Police or whatever they have up there to come in and supplement that. Now, what's that costing? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, the political aspects of this are not what police are about. They don't want to be the COVID police. They don't want to write tickets for, you know, you're not wearing a mask. That's mm -hmm. not what they want to do. They have no desire to do that. Um, they're forced into doing things they don't want to do in some of these uh, politically charged situations. You know, what they want to do is what they know how to do. And that's to put bad guys behind bars. And they'll tell you, even at the academy, I mean, I taught the academy and I would tell them all the time, you know, listen, um, if you're not 100% sure, even though that's not what the law requires, but if you're not 100% sure, just let them go. You'll get them next week. It's, you know, you've got 30 years to get them. And all we got to do is win once to get the job done. You know, they, yeah, they may do 25 burglaries before you finally catch them. But when you do then you hope that the state's attorney, the prosecutor, in other words, um, will do their job. Okay. And that's another political aspect that's very frustrating for police. You put together a very good case to help out a citizen who's been robbed or, or assaulted or whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. only to have it dismissed for probably political reasons. Okay. Or, just, or just inability to do the job. Wow. The, the, they get into prosecutorial stuff or oftentimes, especially the assistants, are, uh, you know, right out of law school. This is where they, you know, they <laughs> uh, learn their trade. They don't get paid anything, you know, to do it in most cases. Not much, unfortunately. And even, even the elected person may not be the very best at, at the job. Now, some of them are outstanding. I, I certainly have run into a ton of really outstanding ones. So I don't want to make it look like they're not, but it's, it's something that we all think about as you go from county to county to county. Mm -hmm. How's this prosecutor? How's that prosecutor? If I'm going to do an undercover buy, uh, I would, you know, look to the county and the prosecutor. Not, I'm not telling them. I'm just going to try to set the buy up in their county because they're going to prosecute. Why would I set a buy up in a county that a prosecutor is not going to prosecute? It's a waste of my time, citizens' efforts, um, money. Let's move on. We got other places we can go. And most states have many counties. And if you're a state officer, as I would have the convenience of being, we can move from county to county and do our stuff there, you know, if we have that opportunity.
opportunity. But um, mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's it's a bit frustrating from time to time. And if you're stuck there as a city officer, you're just going to take what you get. And, yes. and yet, you know, it's not going to work, but you do what you got to do and go on. So when you think about preserving the mental health of mm -hmm. law enforcement, or at least, you know, helping to um, kind of, um, if, if there are problems that are going on, mental health issues, trying to help them, um, you know, stabilize or, you know, deal with their stuff, you know, how, how would a therapist, you know, go about that? Because uh, like you said, a lot of, t most of the time, uh, law enforcement is going to be basically ordered to go see a therapist of some sort. Is that pretty much how it works? They don't trust you for an inch. So the chance of them talking to you is remote uh, and telling you the truth about what's going on in, in their particular life. They just, they're going to be evasive about it and they don't want to get into any of the guts of it all. And, uh, and that may just be the way it goes. These guys are well-trained interviewers and interrogators, so you don't scare them any. Um, they're just going through what they've got to go through to get back out on the street. Um, and by the time they get to a psychologist, as an example, um, you're probably second or third line down. Uh, probably they've been talked to by uh, one of their buddies or maybe they're a, a group that's, or a department that's more advanced. They have peer support people that are trained to inter intervene uh, with some of that's more on paper than it's real. Okay. And I don't want to sound like the old, you know, dinosaur cop that's telling you, but I'm telling you, I'm one of those guys too. I mean, I've been through all that training and uh, even recently took some stuff just to see what they're teaching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they need somebody to talk to. So typically they're going to talk maybe, maybe to one of their buddies uh, that's working, uh, uh, an older, more mentor type person. Because there's a couple of different ways to get power, so to speak, in the interpersonal dynamics in a department. One, you can be promoted. So do they respect you? Well, maybe, maybe not, but they respect the rank you have. And that's how that goes. But then there's the other guys that get power from their actions over time. And they know they're trustworthy. They know they're rational, that they have good advice. And so that person, to the chagrin of many administrators, uh, gets the people to come to talk to them. And it may be in their union, too. Uh, the Fraternal Order of Police, you know, has a wellness program uh, nationwide. They're developing that in a, as fast as they can uh, to where they can go to the union. Because in some cases, some states, if you go with PTSD, what's the D stand for? Disorder. 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 You right. never get off of a disorder. If we call it an injury or an illness, you can be fixed from an injury or an illness. And so some of the nomenclature is actually changing so that we legally can go get treatment and not lose our certification, uh, not lose our firearms card, not lose our job, uh, which in t political pillars are put in place for officers to safely go seek treatment. There's going to be a great reluctance to do it. And then they have the EAP program, somebody which is EAP's Employee Assistance Programs. Uh, every person I've ever talked to, I said, do not go to that. Absolutely do not go. Now, this is my personal opinion. It's your personal opinion, right? I was, I would, and I'm a president of a union too, you know, so I would not recommend my guys go to that because every time that I've been aware of, and I haven't been aware of all of them, but in the limited scope that I've seen, it all gets out because the EAP coordinator works for who? The administrator.
And are they supposed to tell them? No, but there's insurance papers that go through and they get to see the insurance papers. They know what you're going in for, who you're seeing and all that. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely frustrating. So no, don't go there. But if you go to the union and the union has psychologists, they're answering to the union. We're paying the bill, you know, and, and it's not going to the chief. He'll never even know you're there or you're going to appear. And all I want to make sure is there's quality when they do finally get to that second or third layer where they're walking into your office or one of your peers, that they have a clue because yes. nothing more frustrating than getting in there and they walk back out and go, this woman or this man has no clue at all. Do not send any more people there. That's right. That's right. That, and that's my uh, mission and motivation to help therapists understand, you know, from your perspective, what it's like, um, what, you know, just to learn because um, they may end up, you know, getting, so a law enforcement officer in their office and um, now what, you know, you get them in there and that's an opportunity and it could go wrong, you know, pretty fast. It sounds like. Very quick. You, you got about 30 seconds to make an impression. Really? Now, how, what would be the best way in 30 seconds for a therapist to make an impression? A good impression. I would think that you would say, hey, I really don't know your job. I only know what I know, but you know it. You'd be willing to share it with me. I will listen. And I'm not going to judge you based on what I know. I'm going to try to judge or not judge you, but try to help you based on what yes. you're telling me um, and go from there. And you know, the challenge is if you're hired by a department, it's not confidential. Mm-hmm. Not really. Mm-hmm. Cause you've got to report back to somebody if you're the, the, the uh, therapist that is hired. And so they're not going to give you anything. Sorry. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> I can't imagine it happening. I would strongly recommend any of my members not to give them anything because yeah. they'll use it against you. They will try to fire you from it. They'll try to discipline you from it. Even though the therapist has the very best of intentions, when it gets to the next guy up, he may not. Yeah. Well, this guy's a complete nut job, obviously, and we got to get rid of him, which may not be the case at all. He may just need a certain kind of therapy that wasn't provided, it wasn't offered, it wasn't even thought about. And when we get him to the right folks, they come back perfectly healthy and happy. Ah, and- okay. When they get to the right folks. And, and what would be, um, what have, are some of the experiences that you've heard where things did go well? What, what, was, what was some of the feedback and, and things that, um, you know, therapists did right beyond that 30, first 30 seconds? <laughs> and first 30, well, it's our job. We're supposed to sum, sum somebody up, you know, get them all figured out in 30 seconds. Or yes. otherwise, you're, yeah, it's as simple as that. Yeah, so, so they're that's, doing that's that. Assuming they get past that, or keep in mind, police and firemen who I've taught for years, medics, they're like sharks in the water. If they smell blood or fear, you're done. You're absolutely done there. Not to be vicious or anything like that. It's just, you don't get this. You have no clue. So if any of that leaks out, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, in the conversation or something where some suggestion is made and it's so far off of the actual job, uh, the likelihood of them getting up and walking out is real high. I, I certainly mm-hmm. know people who just, just get up and walk out and then they'll say, I'm not going back to that person ever. And you send anybody there, I'll, I'll come after you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I mean, they're, they're very, they're going to tell it like it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, they tell the truth. This is what they felt. This is what they had. So I would say the people that, um, you know, do the best or, you know, when the guys come out and they go, you know what? You know, she's pretty cool. She gets me. She understands. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she doesn't do the job, but she knows enough about it that she gets it. 
And, you know, we're not going to, she's not going to treat me like everybody else because I'm not like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Of course, any human being wants to be told that, but I will say that law enforcement is not like anybody else. Who, right. else gets to, who else gets to take away somebody's freedom or their life? Good point. Absolutely. Nobody. 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 And so it is a completely different job and that is misunderstood. And I think, of course, as anybody else in the world, your perception is based on your reality. Uh, for therapists, they're no different. Um, they believe what they believe based on some things that are true, some things that are completely false, and some things that are half true. And once they filter through those and they actually figure out what is true, they'll be a much better therapist. But I would honestly say that if a therapist uh, came to me and said, I really, really, really want to be a police psychologist, I said, well, okay, I'm sure there's some classes you can take at university for police psychology. But beyond that, I would certainly try to see if you can get on a ride-along program, not just for one day. I'm talking riding along, almost like a chaplain does. And the chaplaincy uh, is an area that police go to because chaplains don't keep records. Mm-hmm. Can't be right. And they really like their chaplains because they'll ride along with them and, you know, they'll get to hear, I mean, policemen have, uh, they speak a, a, a great Southern French <laughs> is what I call it. And chaplains that can handle that while you're out, you know, are, are the ones they like and uh, they, they get it. They don't judge you because, you know, your, your tongue lashes somebody as you drive down the road because you don't act like that when you get out of the car. But mm-hmm. when you need to de-stress, from a particular call, it's likely that your Southern French is going to come out. And if that chaplain gets offended by that, well, they can get out of the car because that's, mm-hmm. you don't mean anything by it. Is it relevant? It's just a way to vent. And you can say all that stuff and it, it has really no bearing on how you do your job at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we thought adultery was a bad thing, John F. Kennedy probably wouldn't have been a, a president for very long, would he? <laughs> or George Washington or John Thomas Jefferson, right? But how did they do their job? is what it's all about when you're interacting with the public. Are you doing it professionally, effectively, or are you worried about what the guy says? You know, kind of like Trump. People, uh, is he doing his job well? Mm-hmm. Or are you worried about how he says his job, you know, and how he uh, exposes, you know, says things. So a lot of people get hooked up in that. Oh, you know, this guy's saying it. Well, we didn't elect a preacher, we elected president. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the same kind of principle as, as that. And uh, nonetheless, yes. it's a fun thing job i wouldn't do anything else i told people i would do this even if they didn't pay me but i'm going to take mm-hmm. the check anyway <laughs> <'Cause> it's <laughs> that's <an> right <laughs> it's an absolute passion uh that people come into they come into it very very much wanting to help people and yes. it sounds so corny and so silly and it's absolutely the truth these people will walk through fire for you they don't mm-hmm. even know you mm-hmm. uh, to carry you out when you have a broken leg they will do it in a yes. second and look at 9-11, what the firemen and policemen did. Uh, mm-hmm. They will absolutely throw themselves in front of whatever's coming mm-hmm. to try to save That's some right. people. That's right. You know, And, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask about, too, is um, there are some therapists who really shouldn't be working with uh, law enforcement, say, or first responders. I've heard this kind yeah. of feedback that, that they're just and, – and being able to know, to know that – as a therapist is actually a good thing. It's helping them to yeah. know that. What would be uh, some of your thoughts about that? No jailhouse, uh, no jailhouse psychologists, uh, no jailhouse chaplains. 
you can't you can't ride two sides of the fence. Pick one and go. Okay. What do you mean when you say jailhouse psychologists are chaplains? Uh, well, if they're doing in prison chaplaincy, they need to stick with that. Be good at it. Help those folks. Mm-hmm. But do not come over to the to the police side of things and attempt to to do the same. It's not going to work. Oh. Um, same thing with uh, with therapists too. If you're going to you know do uh, one side of the game, then do it or do the other one, but do it very well. You can't be everything to everybody. Okay, it so so work. it's kind of a, a black or white kind of thing. If you're if you're working on one side of the fence, you can't come around to the other side. Uh, because no. there's a trust that that affects the trust then not, not, not in the eyes of the law enforcement no i mean can you do it well sure you can do it. it's free country do what you want but you're not going to get many clients from this side of, of the fence <laughs> they'll figure it out real quick oh isn't that the one that goes to prison every wednesday yeah uh, no okay that's a big it's, thing because that's, that's a trust issue yeah that's a huge trust issue okay. and trust is you know, the word you know to be to be had here is trust and and empathy um mm-hmm trying to learn it from a perspective as a uh, neophyte. You don't know anything about it. You never doubt it. And I would say the same thing. They're not going to make me a psychologist overnight. And if I sit there and talk to a hundred psychologists, I'm still not one. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. I'd have a better understanding of what they think, but I'm not one. That's right. You're not, it's, that's not the goal to become one or be that, but it's to kind of hear what they're saying, understand, um, where they're coming from and try to, uh, it's basically listening, right? And being right. able to relate and things like that. Yeah. Well, one other um, thought about, so all the career, you know, and from the start, it sounds like, you know, from the academy, so stressful, so many layers of stress over the years and things. What about after retirement? Like you said, there's a lot of risk factors, a lot going on, but do you think that some, um, you know, law enforcement would, maybe uh, make their way into a therapist's office after retirement? It's possible. We still get a lot of suicides after retirement um, from the stress of law enforcement. Um, If you're a cop, that's an identity. Um, When you retire, you lose your identity to some degree, but you're still a cop in your head. And you always will be to put you in your grave. You'll still sit in the same places in a restaurant. You'll still think the same things. Um, And retired officers still carry guns, you know? Okay. So um, they are never without that thought in their mind. It's very difficult to get out of that. Some are better than others, depending on their job that they had. But if I was to get somebody indicted on a very serious felony charge, and five years later I'm retired, and that guy gets out of prison five years after that, and he finds me, he's not going to care if I'm retired or not. He'll kill me just the same, or my family. So even with family, you have to come up with code words for your children. So if you're in a Walmart and all of a sudden you're seeing something go down, you got to give a code word when the kids scattered, get away from you. Uh, another code words for your wife, you know, to grab the kids and get out of there, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, it's a different lifestyle entirely. Yes. You know, um, you got to, you know, you have to have, even, even for disasters and stuff, most of the law enforcement I know that are at least in more rural areas, they all have generators at their home. So their their family can go on during an ice storm mm-hmm. uh, or a tornado or something like that because they have to go to work. Yeah. Everybody else gets to stay home and fix their house. Cops got to go to work. And if you don't go to work, you get fired. So what happens to my family? Yeah. So always you know? prepared and situational awareness. I mean, it's just always. Yeah. Never. Be prepared. 
Mm -hmm. Not only be prepared, be the best at what you do. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, how right. fast does all this happen? When people think about cops using guns, most people will never use their gun in their entire career. You know, people think we're out popping somebody every weekend, and that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you might go 30 years and never, ever use your gun. But if you're working in the wrong neighborhood, the chance of that goes up and escalates dramatically because of the threat. You don't, you're not creating a threat. Mm -hmm. You're quelling a threat. You're not randomly just meandering into that neighborhood. You're called to that neighborhood. Somebody needs your help. And then the perception of what you're doing there is doesn't come out in the first uh, day after you're gone. Perception, or I'm sorry, the perception comes out immediately, you know, and, and thereafter. But the reality doesn't come out until a trial when we're allowed to talk about it. So you see a lot of media that uh, goes crazy with some type of uh, scenario that's based only on partial facts or falsehoods. And until the trial comes out, the truth comes out. And truth matters. So we tell people to seek the truth. Seek truth, and the truth really does matter. We are not allowed to tell you about an ongoing investigation. We can't do anything until a trial, basically. Although I will say, what I would recommend to some of the chiefs, and not that they're listening to me, but if there is body cam and there is a shooting situation, especially, um, or something similar, to try to get the body cam out as quickly as possible will quell a lot of uh, people from creating something that's not actually there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, and a lot of, when we first got these uh, body cams and stuff, people, they would hold on to them until the trial, basically. And that's when it all came out. You may have noticed that in the media. And now some of the city chiefs are releasing that ASAP. As soon as they reviewed it, look at it, okay, we're gonna release this because what's being put out on Facebook, Twitter, blah, 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 go down the list of social stuff, um, it's completely lie. And here's the actual video that will show it. Now, some video is not gonna show all of it because as I said, it's not a three-dimensional thing. It's, it's a you know, single dimension. You're only gonna see a part of it. Uh, mm -hmm. And oftentimes they'll just show one tiny portion of it rather than the entirety of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. okay. That's really frustrating for law enforcement. And plus yes. now we've got COVID, I think we're nationwide, we're at about 275 officers who died from COVID. Okay, wow. That's a bunch. That is a lot, my goodness, absolutely. Yep. So Terry, this has been so eye-opening to um, hear in your words and from your perspective, what it's like to um, you know, see the world through a law enforcement officer's eyes. And my goodness, there's many, many layers of, um, you know, issues and, and stresses and, you know, things over the course of a career. Oh, yeah. And um, so all of this is just so um, important for therapists and anybody who potentially could be working with this population to know about. Um, yeah. What's a you final know. thought, a final take-home message that you would like to, um, you know, for um, mental health professionals to know about law enforcement? Well, I want them to know that they're constantly being trained too. It's not just the academy and there you go for 30 years. No, no, no. Uh, they're doing training very regularly on the latest laws, on the best ways to do defensive tactics, on the best ways to de-escalate. These things that are being told out there are stuff we're already doing. We don't do chokeholds. I mean, we got rid of that years ago. Um, and so, you know, these kinds of things are just complete misnomers. And so to be misunderstood by virtually everyone except your 
fellow officers is very frustrating. And so um, to find a shoulder not to cry on, but to have some empathy and understand that, you know, what you think you know may not actually be real. And until you have these uh, deep conversations with these men and women uh, who risk their lives every day, um, you really won't have any sense of it. Uh, so I would say get involved with law enforcement. Um, you come in with a humble heart, like we did as rookies. We didn't know anything. We let the field training officers teach us, have a field training officer teach you. Um, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, degreed and, you know, PhDs and MDs and so forth, they go through an internship. You know, they go through a residency of some sort. And that's how they learn. They cut their teeth on that situation. Law enforcement does the very same thing. And you're getting into law enforcement. So if you want to get into law enforcement, act like one and come be part of that and see if you can't work out a situation with your sheriff, your chief, your director of state police, whoever you're going to ride with and try to go to different departments. You're going to get a completely different feel because each one of them is its own unique organization and it has its own culture and society and so forth. So just because you do a city cop doesn't mean it's going to be the same as a trooper. It'd be similar, mm -hmm. but the dynamics are so much different. And yes. uh, that's really where we need to go in this case. And then I think look, reaching out to somebody like the Fraternal Order of Police, which is the largest, I mean, 325,000 cops in that uh, throughout the nation, largest uh, police organization, uh, get an endorsement from, from the local FOP that you are okay to go. That's where you're going to get your clients. It's going to come from the FOPs. Uh, there's PBMPA and there's some other ones, but um, FOP being the largest. And they'll give you the thumbs up. This is a good one. Let's go. And they'll send their guys and gals to, to those folks. They want them healthy. They want them happy. Exactly. Back in, in the squad card. Exactly. And, and uh, therapists want to be able, they want to make a difference, but needing to know how to do that to, you know, do no harm, to help, not harm, and um, be able to sort of meet you all where you're at, not presume to know, you know, based on what you've maybe, you know, heard from the media or read, or you can't learn this stuff in a textbook either. That's the thing. No, you really can't. And, you know, people think cops are really hard and I kind of look like a cop. You know, I have that uh, mentality that they're all hard and, and uh, they aren't. Um, they really are really teddy bears a lot of times on the inside. Uh, they hardened on the outside because they have to be. It's part of the job. Mm -hmm. But to get, uh, that's why cops have a lot of fun together. You know, if they go in, they're sitting watching a football game, having a couple of beers, and they get to tell them war stories. You should sit in on those because they are the funniest thing you'll ever come across. You'll never believe they're true, but I'll assure you they're true. They're funny. We get to see everything that nobody else gets to see. You still can't discuss it, you know, and they will oftentimes you tell the academy kids, you don't start keeping a diary now. So when you retire 30 years from now, uh, you'll be able to write a book and nobody will believe it nobody because it is it. so bizarre. What an unusual job to have. Um, and, uh, you know, you go from being loved to hated in one moment and uh, mm -hmm. it's just the nature of it. And you just got to kind of ride out these crests and troughs, uh, mm -hmm. the flow of things. And we're, we're in a kind of a trough right now, but there'll be a crest. That's right. Something, something will happen and it'll change it. And that's uh, right. So we'll see. But yeah, exactly. I'd love to have the, some good therapists, you know, right along. I'd love to have you and uh, talk to these guys. And I tell you, the guys who are free to talk are the ones that are retired. See, yeah. retired. They'll talk to you. They'll tell you the real scoop. Right. You guys working can't. Right. That would be quite a privilege to hear those war stories too. Oh, yeah. That'd be pretty fascinating. It's fun. I love hearing them myself. And, you know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much. 
Terry, it's so much appreciated. And, you know, again, I, you know, I picked your brain a little bit. There's so much more. Uh, I'd love to be able to chat with you, you know, later on too. And, sure. you know, keep talking about this really important topic. Absolutely. You bet. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Make sure you check out the show notes about Terry at www.thetherapycafe.com. We look forward to bringing you more information about first responder wellness in the next few episodes. Thanks so much for listening. This is Dr. Kathleen Talent at the Therapy Cafe podcast, signing off. Until next time.